Thank you for listening to this week's message from New Day Community Church in Vandalia. We hope this message encourages and blesses you. Look us up and contact us at newdaycommunity.org. Normally we do a topical series where we'll take a look at a various topic and a bunch of verses that talk on that topic. But uh, we also do expository series, and that's where we take a section of Scripture and go through it basically verse by verse or passage by passage and unpack it and um, uh, kind of dig a little deeper. And so I really enjoy the expository teachings because it enables us to talk about certain things that we might not ever get around to. Uh, we just follow the scripture and follow the thoughts of the scripture. And so we are talking through the letter to Colossians written by the Apostle Paul, probably in, around 50 AD in, or in the mid-50s, while he was in prison in Rome, most likely. <clears throat> and uh, so we're going to jump in. Last week, oh, last week uh, Mark did a great job. Uh, he talked about verses uh, chapter 1, 15 through 23 and said there were two basic subject matters in that portion of Scripture. Uh, The first subject matter was Jesus, and it talked about Jesus' supremacy in creation, his supremacy in the church, he's the head of the church, he's the head of creation, he came before all things. And he also talks about what uh, Jesus did in reconciling us to the Father. And then midway through that section, about two-thirds of the way through, the, the subject of the writing changes from Jesus to you, the, the church in Colossus, the Christians. And of course, that means to us, because we are now the church, and so it's written to us as well. And so the subject went from Jesus to, to you, and that you once were alienated, we were aliens separated from God, and then now we're reconciled. So we are the, uh, have received the reconciliation accomplished by Christ. In this section today, there's a third subject. Are you ready? The third subject is, all right, uh, Paul. Paul turns and starts talking about himself. And he's not talking about himself because he wants attention. He's talking about himself because it's an example for us. And God is using, in God's holy word, is using Paul as an example. So we're going to learn a lot about Paul, in order to uh, follow Paul as Paul followed Christ. We're going to learn about his labor for this church. We're going to learn about his ministry and his message. Are you ready? Okay, so verse 24 says, And now uh, I now rejoice in my suffering for you, and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ, for the sake of his body, which is the church. In the New Living Translation, a little more contemporary wording, it says, I'm glad when I suffer for you in my body, for I am participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body, the church. And I love that through uh, the writings of Paul especially, Paul was recognized as an uh, incredible scholar and an excellent author. Um, you know, he wrote most of the New Testament. It's still the best-selling book on planet Earth. <laughs> He's a good author, all right? And you see this uh, different um, uh, uh, things repeated, motifs, and he's talk, talking about uh, uh, he is experiencing in his body uh, suffering uh, for Christ's body. 
and this idea of incarnation, which, which Mark discussed in the passage last week, talked about how Jesus was the fullness of God in bodily form. And now Paul is suffering in his physical body for the benefit of Christ's body, which is the church. And so a lot of talk about the body. The, our physical bodies are important. All right, we're going to uh, unpack this a little more. Paul was actually rejoicing that he was suffering. How many want to amen that? <laughs> All right. So his suffering, Paul going through difficulty and suffering, was the evidence of his faith. It wasn't because of a lack of faith. And sometimes when we endure hardship, we think it's because we've done something wrong. Or we failed and or we missed something. Paul actually says, no, it's evidence. In his life, it was evidence that he was doing stuff right. And it actually produced in him joy and rejoicing because he was suffering. Now, he wasn't talking about sickness. And a lot of Christians, a lot of some preachers will misunderstand or misinterpret uh, this and think, well, you know, God's given me this affliction, you know, uh, of whatever it may be. <clears throat> my my uh, lumbago, you know. <laughs> I just got this at my knees. I'm suffering for Jesus. <laughs> no, he's suffering because you've been overweight your whole life, dude. <laughs> you didn't take care of your knees. All right, it's not sickness necessarily. Particularly, Paul's talking about persecution and tribulation because of what he experienced because of living Christ-like. Okay, so Paul, because he would go in the cities and talk about Jesus, was beaten, he was shipwrecked. Just the journeys that he would take, you know, most of his ministries, he, he began his ministries uh, traveling to the different churches, when, uh, uh, the stories of going and the missionary journeys. He was my age and older, he's in his 50s and 60s, <coughs> and he had to walk, you know, they didn't have airplanes, um, <laughs> and uh, through mountainous ranges, robbers, and he was uh, uh, stones, we believe that he was probably stoned to death at least once, we don't know that for sure, and so he suffered, he had uh, 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 physical difficulties, but he saw that as a reason to rejoice, um, <coughs> And it's the sufferings of Christ. One thing about sickness I do want to point out is that sickness in and of itself I don't think is, is from the Lord. I, don't, I think it's a misunderstanding. It's a mystery, um, but uh, I believe that Jesus healed every person that he encountered that was sick. He has the power to heal, and he doesn't withhold healing. But sometimes there's a, there's a time lapse between you know, believing for healing and receiving healing. And this morning, uh, Sue Yurdy gave a great testimony uh, that uh, during a women's retreat, she was healed supernaturally of, of asthma. She wasn't even praying about it. She'd had it her whole life. She had to be on medication daily. She'd been in intensive care unit in times past and hospitalized many times for asthma. She just had a lifelong condition of asthma. And um, she wasn't even praying about it. Something happened at the women's retreat, and she was healed of asthma. She hasn't taken her medicine in a month. Wow. And, um, <clears throat> yeah. If she had done that any time before, she would have been in a hospital, but she's completely healed. Praise God. Hallelujah. All right? And so we rejoice. Now, now, between the time that Sue got healed of the asthma and the time that she became a believer, you know, she was, in one sense, suffering for Christ, 
because Christ had already won her healing, but during that she was remaining faithful. She wasn't giving up, right? So the sickness is not suffering for Christ, but remaining faithful and believing God through the midst of suffering is suffering for Christ. Does that make sense? And so there's a balance there. It's kind of a delicate balance, but there is a balance. I believe that God wants everybody healed, but sometimes there's a a battle that is in between that. Uh, And and it's the suffering of Christ, and this is touching on a prophetic uh, um, statement concerning the Messiah that was made long before Christ was born. It's prophecy in Isaiah. Uh, Part of the um, nature of Jesus Christ was that uh, it says he became their savior. This is speaking hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus came about Jesus. He became their savior in all their afflictions. He was afflicted. Okay, And so this is a prophecy about what the savior was going to do and all of their afflictions. He was afflicted. So it's about Christ taking on our afflictions. He took on our iniquity as well as our infirmity on the cross. Correctly? Right? He took it all. That's what Jesus did. But guess what? All of their afflictions, they being his people, that continues today. All right? He still takes your afflictions upon him. All right? So it was complete on the cross, but it's complete in that it still continues because we still suffer affliction. Does that make sense? All right, so it's not adding to the cross, it's understanding what really was accomplished to the cross, and Paul then is participating in that with Christ. He talks about this, uh, a lot of people get this verse all confused, it's, 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 it's just talking about how Paul has embraced the fellowship of Jesus' sufferings. That's the word he uses for the same idea when he's writing to the church in Philippi, in the Philippians, that uh, Paul was going on about how he counts everything as rubbish compared to knowing Jesus and uh, joining him in the fellowship of his sufferings. So there's something about following Christ that when you suffer for Christ's sakes, right? Jesus suffered. He suffered for us. And when we suffer for Christ's sakes, we get to know him in a way that we couldn't if we never suffered for him. And it's all about getting to know him. That's what it's talking about here. And so uh, Paul's talking about his experience as a, as a lesson for us. <clears throat> and his suffering was for you. Paul wasn't suffering to earn his forgiveness. Paul didn't need to suffer for himself. Right? He did it for you, for others. Uh, it was for because he had the victory and to help other people get the victory that he was willing to endure hardship, and, yeah. and we should as well. Yeah. I love that that whole talk that Mark covered in the passage preceding, which the verses uh, just before this section, talking about the preeminence of Christ. And I was actually quite upset. <clears throat> we set up the preaching calendar uh, long ago, and, and, I, and I, as we were getting ready to do this series, I was like, oh, darn, that's my favorite part. <laughs> <laughs> and Mark got to preach it. 
<laughs> really, it's like one of my favorite parts of Scripture. Is it talks about who Jesus really is. You know, he's, he, he existed before all things, and all things consist in him and through him. And, and wow, it just goes on and on about the true nature of Christ and that preeminence that he was the firstborn over all creation. He's the first in the church. Like, in him, the fullness of the Godhead dwells. And that leads to that. There wasn't a week in the, in the church in Colossians. They didn't have to wait a week for this next section. <laughs> right in the bible there's not a delay between you just, and you can actually read this at home <laughs> and it's like just one little paragraph um <clears throat> because this idea about the preeminence of christ leads directly into understanding uh, uh the of the importance of the body of christ which is the church right um for the sake of his body which is the church. And so all that talk about Jesus applies to you because you are his body. Jesus exists in the earth today. His body is in the earth, and that body is the church, which is you. All right. Uh, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship of God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, or in the New Living Translation, it says, God has given me this responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming his entire message to you. Paul's uh, ministry came with a deep awareness of the divine call. And this is true of Paul, but it's true of you. And it's true for me. Right? Whether you're in full-time ministry or not. You know, Paul, most of his life, did not uh, serve in full-time ministry. Much of what he did, he did while making tents. He was a tent maker. He'd go from city to city, set up shops, sell tents. While he was there, he'd talk to people about Jesus, and, and as people responded, he'd, he'd start a church. All right? So he went kind of back and forth between uh, ministering full-time, certain places in Corinth and Ephesus, uh, and then later in life, <coughs> when he was older, after he got out of prison, he spent quite a bit of time um, no longer working. Uh, but most of what we read, he was actually working. And so you have a ministry. Whether you do it for income or not, you are called into ministry. And it's important that we understand that it, our ministry is a stewardship given to us by God. Now, stewardship means that it's God's, and he gives it to us to take care of for a while. It's not ownership. It's stewardship, all right? And so how are you taking care of your ministry? Because you will give account. But it's something that God gave you, and that's something, it's, it was God's idea. And I said, you know, why, why am I doing this? Oh, it's God's idea. Right. Why do I witness to my, my coworkers and, and put up with their, 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 you know, teasing me or whatever? Because it's God's idea. Why do I, I stay faithful to, to give a good witness around my classmates and, and my family members when they don't understand? Because this is God's idea, right? That deep understanding that it's a calling. This is a stewardship that God's given you. Um, and he's given it, Paul says, he gave it to me for you. To me for you. Everybody say, to me, to me. for you. For you. <clears throat> All right, so uh, Paul's calling was not for him. It's not for himself. And what I do, I don't, you know, I don't do this for myself. I don't need to do anything. I'm going to heaven, man. I, I could sit back and just coast, right? And life would be easy. But that's not good. 
because God's given me a ministry, and I want to steward it. And so I'm willing to press in and suffer and labor because it's not about me. It's about you. And you say the same thing. It's about others. Maybe it's the people sitting in this room that you can influence. Maybe it's the people at work, at home, in your neighborhood, on the street. Who knows? It's anybody. Um, as we're going through the uh, expository teaching, I also like to give tips <coughs> on how to get nuggets out of Scripture. And, and one of the things that you look for in Scripture is repetition. And repetition in Scripture, and especially in the Hebrew language, was the primary uh, or a primary way of emphasis. Um, and so when they repeat something over and over again, and you'll find this all through Scripture, certain things will be repeated. That's like how we, w w when we would put something in bold <laughs> or highlight or underline it, right? It's a, he's trying to make a point here. And so this phrase, for you, actually is repeated many times. For you, for you, for you, for you, for you. Uh, because that's, it's, it's, an, it's an emphasis. And so you look, what are all the things that are done for you? Paul's motivation, Christ's motivation is for you. And that should be our example to live our lives, to fulfill our ministry for the sake of others. Um, and that is to fulfill the word of God. <clears throat> To bring to completion the goal uh, for Paul and for, for us is fulfill this message uh, of the Word of God, which he then talks about the Word of God, to fulfill the Word of God, the mystery. So he's explaining what the Word is, this message from God, is the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. <clears throat> All right, so mystery, key term, it's used many times in this scripture, but it's also uh, was a popular term and became a very important aspect of a heresy or a false teaching that influenced the church for quite a long time. In fact, it's still influencing the church. Today we call it New Age. Uh, it's called, uh, it's ancient uh, term that was called, uh, historians call it Gnosticism. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's focusing more on the mystery, <laughs> on, on the secret knowledge, rather than on what is openly revealed. And Paul is actually kind of embracing their terminology to get it, his point across very clearly that um, the Word of God is about this mystery. Uh, it's still mystery, it's still unknown in one sense, but he kind of unpacks what it means. And he says that it's been around forever. It's been around throughout all the generations. You know, the mystery is, is, is contained in all of the Old Testament. Right from Genesis 1, uh, the, you can see hints of this, the mystery, like this, this secret uh, code, if you will. <laughs> Some people use that for wacky stuff. But there is a secret message that runs throughout the whole of Scripture and really all of human history but the point of it is, is guys, it's now been revealed. Okay, what was hidden is now manifest. That means you can see it. It's visible. It's realized. Okay? And he tells what it is. <clears throat> it's been made visible to the saints. And this uh, brings up uh, John chapter 3. Jesus said, that unless you're born again, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. All right? So this is why that truth, 
unless you're born again, you can't even see the kingdom of God, while you can see something clearly and be standing next to somebody who's not a believer, and they just don't get it. Even it's like so obvious in Scripture or in life or in the world. You're like, oh God, you created everything. Is this, this is happening, and God's so powerful. And they're like, well, I don't see anything. You know? <laughs> it's like, and what do you do with that? You keep talking, and you keep sharing with them what you see, and eventually they'll, they'll get a glimpse of it. You know, if their heart is open, they'll go, well, maybe, and they'll, they'll take a peek. And like, whoa, and there it is. All right? It's hidden in plain sight. It's hidden in plain sight. You know, if you want to hide something, sometimes when I want to hide something, I'll put it right there on the counter. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> if you can't find something, it's usually sitting like on the top of the TV or something. Well, you can't set things on top of TVs anymore. Because <laughs> they're that. <laughs> <laughs> Where'd I put that piece of paper? It's on, a, it's on the refrigerator. You put a magnet on there so you wouldn't lose it. <laughs> you know, sometimes something is right there sitting in front of you. You're looking all over the place. Where'd I put this stupid thing? Oh, there it is. You know, right in front. <clears throat> How many done that, right? It happens all the time. All right? so, sometimes it's, and the kingdom of God is like that. It's everywhere. But you can't see it without faith. Right? But this word is meant to reveal that. Okay? A little study note. Look for parallel verses. Right? Like this verse in John where it talks about something that uh, 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 is hidden. Uh, Jesus said that. Or the verse in Philippians where it talked about the suffering for Jesus. Uh, so look for verses in other books that talk about the same idea will help you understand the verse that you're reading. Uh, and you can find those verses with the cross-references in your Bible or a commentary. Um, study Bibles point you to those. It says, To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So this mystery that's hidden in plain sight, it is the will of God to make it known. It's God's will that every man, woman, and child see what's hidden in plain sight. It absolutely is. It's his will. You never have to pray, and I, I, I do this sometimes still, and I hit myself in the head when I do it. <clears throat> you never have to say, oh, should I, should I witness that person? You're sitting in a restaurant, and something happens. And oh, I, should, I, should I say something to that person? Yes! Yes! Don't pray that. Do not pray that prayer. Okay? Because that prayer, the answer to that prayer is always yes. So what you should say is, God, how can I witness to this person in a way that's effective? How can I? Because the answer to should I is always yes. Right? Because God wills that the mystery be revealed. All right? <laughs> That's pretty among intense. And it says, among the Gentiles. Now, some people don't know who Gentiles is. I'll make it really easy. You're either a Jew, which means you're a descendant of Abraham, right? You're Jewish. Or you're Gentile. And so that's everybody else. 
Okay? That's everybody from every other ethnicity in the world. Doesn't matter. Asian, African, European, uh, Antarctic. No, there's no people live there. Arctic. <laughs> All right, doesn't matter. And then in Christ, God took the two and made them one in the body of Christ. It talks about that in Ephesians. We'll do that book someday. All right. <clears throat> so the mystery is uh, to be revealed among the Gentiles. So this book, this letter was written to a primarily Gentile church, a specifically Gentile church. It says it right there. It may, have, there were, it may have been a few Jews in that church, but it was mainly a Gentile church in a Gentile city. Uh, they were, uh, you know, not uh, Jewish ethnicity. They were of other ethnicities. And he's saying, this is it, and this is it. And what it is, is that their hope is that Christ is in you, all right? Another place it says, and this is the secret, another translation, this is the secret, this is the mystery, that mystery that has been around from the beginning all the way through, the mystery that now God wills to be known, the mystery that we see when we come into salvation, this is the mystery, Jesus lives in you, Christ in you. In Galatians, Paul says it this way, a parallel verse. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus lives for me. Now wait a minute here, folks. Just a minute here. Slam on the brakes. Think about this, all right? Because this is just a few verses after Paul describes who Jesus is. Not Jesus, oh Jesus, meek and mild. Not Jesus, sweet baby Jesus in the manger. No, Jesus, the firstborn over all creation. Jesus in whom the fullness of the Godhead dwelt. The fullness of the God, everything that it means to be God dwelt in the body like god somehow supernaturally <laughs> took up all of the nature of god <clears throat> and condensed it down into bodily form <clears throat> and there's jesus <laughs> seriously man that's what i did it's not that no that's not the good news that's not the good news that happened to Jesus. But this is the good news. That what dwelt in Jesus now dwells in you. Okay? Dwells in Jill, Jen, not Jill. Jill too. Jill too. Jill too. <laughs> right? The fullness of, what else, what else did we learn about Jesus from the previous passage? What, can't these, pastors, I can't answer questions. What else? Can you remember anything from last week's message? Something about Jesus. What did he, did he make anything? He made everything. In him and through him all things exist. In him and through him all things exist. That's Jesus, right? But then where is Jesus? In you. In Matt Marnie is the creator of everything. The sustainer of everything. Do you think that'll mean, that might help Matt sustain himself through the week? When he's working? In Bob Brower is the creator of the universe. In, right? Right in there. (laughs) 
This is rock. This is, what does it mean? What does this mean? What does this mean? What does it mean that Christ is in you? Christ is in you. Christ is in you. Jesus is in you. Jesus is the incarnate God. God came in the flesh. Boom. Point one. Point two, that Jesus now is in me. This is the mystery, man. This is the main point. Paul's saying that now Christ is, Christ is in, in you. Gentiles in you. Doesn't matter what the ethnicity you are. He's in you, in your body. Listen, take the rest of your life and try to figure that out because it's going to take, and you won't, you'll get little glimmers. He's in you all the time. He's in you when you're, when you're at church. He's in you when you're doing something bad, when you're doing something good, when you're feeling bad, discouraged, when you're feeling great. He doesn't leave you. He doesn't forsake you. The fullness of God is right there. That's a radical truth, man. And the application of it is think about that. Try to figure that one out. I don't understand it. It's the mystery. It's mysterious. Him we preach, Paul continues on, warning every man, teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Paul's message was Jesus. That's all he talked about. It's all he talked about. He talked about Jesus. Everything came back. And so as he's writing, he, he'll touch on, in the later part of the, uh, this book, he talks on about some very practical stuff, but it's all about Jesus being revealed in practical ways. He actually gives us his, his teaching outline. He begins with warning. It's got to get your attention. Hey, just a minute. Watch this. Caution. Admonition. So he'll, he'll, he warns people, and then he follows it up with teaching. All right? And so... This is where there's a problem. This is the instruction to help you become more a disciple, more a Christian, a follower of Christ. This is how to do it the right way. So he he warns and then he teaches. And then his goal is to present each person perfect. And don't take that word perfect in the way we use it today, which is absolute, meticulous, everything, perfectionism. That's not what it means. The word means mature. It means brought to completion. All right, uh, not lacking anything, and so uh, Paul taught and Paul warned in order to bring each person that was willing to listen to the place where they were mature in Christ, where they weren't lacking. It says that <clears throat> our hope is Christ in us, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Right? That's our hope. Man, confident expectation. Again, hope is not. A wish. Hope is confident expectation. This Jesus that created the world, rules the world, uh, and redeemed the world now exists in me. And then it says our objective is being complete in him. And this is another play, a back and forth play throughout Colossians. You'll, you'll find that you know the fullness of God dwells in Christ, right? But then Christ dwells in us. But then we're complete in him. <laughs> Pretty cool, huh? God in Christ, Christ in us, us in Christ. Wow, it's incredible. Um, to the end, uh, to this end, I also labor, striving according to His working, which works in me mightily. So this is Paul's main goal. This is what he committed his life to. It was the pattern of Jesus. 
uh, he was willing, uh, Jesus um, uh, labored and gave his all, and Paul as well labored and gave his all to this end, and being preaching the message of Christ, revealing the mystery, and seeing others uh, raised up into maturity, and it should be our example. We should also, like them, labor. <clears throat> and that means growing weary and fatigued, exhausted. And we see this. Paul goes through times where he's exhausted. Jesus went through times where he was exhausted. And some, he, would, he would leave and try to just take a vacation. And he would see a multitude and he'd just minister to them. Right? Um, often uh, it happened in Christ's life. It happened in Paul's life. And so I, what, I think it's important that we see some of the words that Paul uses to describe his ministry are not like, oh, it's all cruise ship. It's an all-inclusive, you know, plan to get you from where you are to heaven. No. All right? Actually, it, inclu it includes exhaustion and fatigue. Striving, which is contending with an adversary, fighting and struggling. Um, it's the cost of a Christian life and ministry. And I think that if we sell that short, if we skip that part of the message, we'd be doing everyone a disservice because staying the course and fighting the fight actually means fighting the fight and struggling. And sometimes it is difficult. Sometimes it's hard to endure. You want to give up. You want to give in. But you're not going to because you're you're striving for something that you believe in. Uh, <clears throat> even though all of that's done, not out of our own strength, it's done out of His working. In other words, it's Christ's uh, working. The first word there is uh, the dunamis, which is that inherent power that we receive because Christ is in us. It's His working through us, and it's His energy that works in us. That energy is a different word that means uh, uh, effectiveness, uh, ability to actually accomplish what uh, the power is there to do. It's his power, but that being the conduit of his power sometimes leads to exhaustion and fatigue. And that doesn't mean you failed. All right? That may mean you're pressing in. All right? Uh, in the Hebrews, it says, we strive to enter into his rest. All right? And so there's this balance here. All right? <clears throat> now, if you're always striving and don't know how to get into the rest, that's not healthy. But if you're always just laying around, <laughs> that's not good either. i got to move on. I want you to know how much I have agonized. Oh, don't you just love these words? Labor, striving, agonizing for you and for the church at Laodicea and for many other believers who have never met me personally. I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties. There's another powerful word. Uh, agonized, the word actually would have... Uh, uh, evoked the image in the first century Christians of the arena where the Roman battles took place. And so a contemporary uh, depiction today might be a boxing ring or a cage fighter, which cage fighters fight. <laughs> Is there a name for it? Is it just the cage? Octagon? Well, that's, that's, I didn't know they were in octagonal. Wow. It's more, much more, cage fighting is much more complex than I ever thought it could be. 
<laughs> so it evokes this image of, man, you're in there, and it's all-out fight. All right? <clears throat> and Paul says that's, that picture describes how he, uh, what his ministry is like for the saints, even people that he's never met, churches he's never been to. Uh, and that was Christ's struggle as well. Uh, and it was for others, not for himself so that they would be encouraged and that they'd be knit together so they'd be uh, themselves personally built up, but also they'd be knit together in relationship with one another. And so I'd ask you, you know, how are you doing in that struggle? That's not just a struggle for Paul or for paid ministry. That's a struggle we each have a part to, to carry so that the church as a whole can grow and become complete. Verse 2 and 3, chapter 2, I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. In him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom uh, and knowledge. Uh, and so this complete confidence that Paul is hoping for is, is that they really understand and they're really convinced that they've really been taught thoroughly that this mystery and the answer to everything is actually singularly the person of Jesus Christ. The person of, everything points to Christ. Uh, in, uh, you know, uh, he is my all in all. He's the all in all, right? In him, all the promises of God are yes and amen. It's never Christ and. And this is what was happening in uh, that, that city uh, and later became the heresy of Gnosticism. Jewish uh, teachers were coming in and saying, oh, what, this says this in, in the Old Testament. And you, you, gotta, you can have Jesus, but you also need this. And you need circumcision. And you need this. You need to follow these dietary laws. And you need this. And then uh, secularists, in other words, Greek philosophers, would come in and, and say, well, you know, have you heard about the worship of angels? You know, there's angels that are intermediaries. And you can actually pray to angels, and they'll help you in your pathway. And, and they're like, and he's like, no, no, no. All that stuff is secondary. It's, it, some of it's not even important anymore. It's just Christ. And listen, we have the same challenge today because people want to preach Christ and. They want Jesus on their platform. Okay? Whatever platform that might be, whether they're selling something or trying to gain some place of power, they, they're really happy to have Jesus stand next to them on their platform. But listen, Jesus has his own platform, and it's called the throne. And there's no room for anybody else but Jesus on there, right? Right next to the Father. God's throne is not shared. And so this mystery, the, the knowledge and wisdom and the essence of everything that we need to understand, we can't just add Jesus and. It's Jesus only. And then once we have that, then we can understand how Jesus can influence the other platforms in our lives. Does that make sense? All right, and, and then we can get those things, whether it be political platforms or sociological, sociological platforms, or economic platforms, areas, issues in, uh, in our lives that need to be arranged must come under the uh, preeminence of the person of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> now this I say, least anyone should deceive you. Um, and I love how Paul uh, tackled the deception of just speaking the truth clearly, pointedly, not necessarily taking them on point by point, but just saying this is the truth. We didn't want them to be deceived with persuasive words. 
And this really sets up the next section. Graham is going to be speaking on some of the specific deceptions that came that get addressed in the next portion of Colossians. But you know, this is as true today as it was then. Uh, there are um, uh, attacks against the gospel and against the purity of the message of the gospel continually, uh, yet it never fails. And as long as we remember that the, the purity, the message is Jesus. Who is Jesus? What did he say? Who did he represent? The truth of the person of Jesus will stay true to the message of the Bible. Final section is three verses. <clears throat> it says, For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Um, the word good order that we have translated good order in the Greek is actually uh, a metaphor that the Colossians would have instantly recognized for being in rank, rank and order. It's a military um, uh, metaphor, and it describes soldiers being in marching order, doing what they're supposed to be doing. <clears throat> and so Paul uses that metaphor to call that image to mind, and then he describes what that metaphor looks like, all right, for a Christian. There's actually seven um, aspects that depict what it means to be in good order. And the first one is receiving Christ, okay? Uh, therefore, as you have received Christ, accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior is prerequisite to all the benefits that come in the kingdom of God, all right? Have you accepted, in order to be in good order, in order to be an able and equipped to march as the people of God, you need to first be uh, a Christian. And you do that simply by saying, Jesus, I submit my life to you. I believe. I see it. Jesus, be my Lord. Be my Savior. If you're here and you've never prayed that prayer, if you've prayed it but you haven't been living it, you can pray it again. And, and get in the right order so that you can receive all of the benefits, receiving Christ. The next one is walking in Him. Once you've received Christ, you need to walk that out. You need to uh, walk in a way, live in a way. Your lifestyle needs to look like Jesus. And I would ask you, how is your walk? And maybe if you're failing in some parts of your walk, it's because you haven't fully realized that Jesus is in you. And maybe that Jesus needs to affect, he needs to influence that part of your walk. And he can, because he can do all things. You need to be rooted in him. <clears throat> you know, the image of roots growing deep, uh, thoroughly grounded. How deep do your roots grow? in the person of Jesus. How deep are your roots? Yeah. And roots will continue to grow until they find that living water. And we need to be rooted so that we can be built up. Right? The, uh, the taller a tree gets, the deeper it roots ne need to go in order for it not to be blown over by the winds. 
So being built up is becoming stronger, more complete. I like it, it says it implies massive solidity. Massive solidity, like a big oak tree or a sequoia, right? So I would ask you, what would that look like in your life? What would it look like to be massively solid, to be built up in him, established in the faith? The message translates this, that you know your way around the faith. You know your way. You're comfortable in the kingdom. You're not a novice. And where are you in that? You know, I can't, I can't, I can talk, I can tell you what to do. We can offer classes and recommend books. There's a point at which you actually need to invest. And that leads us to the next one, being taught or instructed. And it's your responsibility to seek that out, to study, to show yourself approved. And finally, abounding with thanksgiving. And thanksgiving is this constant characteristic, this theme. Uh, it flows from faith, but thank, thanksgiving, gratitude, actually affects the atmosphere around us. You know, sitting in a, waiting to get in a restaurant, and this couple next to me, they were just irate because they'd been sitting there for a whole hour waiting to get in this restaurant. You know, and I can understand that. They were frustrated. I was like, well, just go talk to them. It's going to be okay. I said, I'll make sure you get in next. <laughs> she said that like, who am I? <laughs> <laughs> they got in next, right? It's like, it's okay, man. Yeah. We have to wait an hour to be fed unlimited amounts of food, you know, more than we can, more than we can eat. Well, half the world starves. Uh, yeah. I'm so grateful that I can sit here. Um, in everything, give thanks, for it's the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Give thanks. Why don't you stand up? <clears throat> Father, I give thanks to each, to you for each and every person here. Father, I pray that the revelation of the fullness of, of you dwelling in us will transform us completely and that we can walk in good order in all these seven ways. Father, I pray for each and every person here, the, person, the people that feel like they're just, they're, they just can't quite get through even one day without making a stupid mistake. Lord, I pray for that person because you know what? You're in them and you never make a mistake. And you're going to get to those issues and that they don't have to worry about it. They just need to seek you and get to know you. And you can deal with all of our stuff because you are the creator of all stuff. You're, you're the creator of life itself. Father, I just pray a release of the revelation of the mystery of God, which is Christ in us, the hope of glory. In Jesus' name. Father, help us communicate this in a meaningful way to our neighbors, people who live in our city, and our generation. In Jesus' name, everyone said, Amen. Amen.